talented and gifted. I'm kind of jealous. Um, <laughs> I'm actually completely jealous. Um, something you guys don't know, I have tried over the last like two years to get Amanda and even Isaac, they both play piano, to play piano while I work in my office, just in like the background. Like, just like, I'm like, just come 20 hours a week, I'll pay you 20 bucks a week. And they just say no every single time. I mean, I think it's pretty fair, a dollar an hour, I mean, it's more than I was making in 14, or 16, or 18, or whatever. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. No, they just never took me up on that. So any other people who are musically gifted and just would love to waste your time sitting in my office playing music while I work... I'll pay you 20 bucks for 20 hours. Um, I actually used to know how to play piano, and then I stopped because I got busy. Um, and I actually regret, regret quitting because I wish I actually knew how to play. I don't know how to play. I can't read music anymore. And it just would be so hard to actually learn how to play music again because I'd have to relearn the basics of how to read music. And to actually do that would be a hard and long process to relearn the basics. And I've said before, I love movies. And so how many of you guys have ever seen the Mighty Ducks movies? So confession, they've been out since the 90s. I didn't watch them until like this last couple months. Um, it was with a conversation I had with a couple friends. I'm like, oh, I should actually go watch these movies. And because of COVID, I have a lot of free time on my hands when I'm at home, so I watched them. But they're a fun group of movies, and if you haven't watched them, they're your typical underdog sports movie, where this, you know, washed-up coach gets handed this ragtag team of, you know, pathetic, horrible hockey players, and this coach somehow takes these misfits and takes a losing season and makes it into a winning season and then actually wins the championship all in just one season, which is kind of, you know, weird to think of. Like, that's not possible. It's like the Vikings last year when they were 0-5, started winning and actually went and won the Super Bowl. Like, what are the chances, right? Even if we were like 14-2, and what are the chances, right? Um, let's be honest. Whew. But in these movies, we see that it was all about winning, right? This team that they tried to defeat was this really good winning team, but this misfit group, what it was for them, it was all about having fun and actually having a team where people had your back. That was what the basics of hockey was for this ragtag misfit group of kids. It was all about having fun and all about having each other's backs. And what we see in the sequel movies is this team goes from being a misfit to actually being one of the best teams in the state, in the country, actually. And they go and they start winning. And they get so used and so accustomed to winning that we see that they forget how to have fun. And we see that their relationships start to dwindle. Because through all the winning, they forgot the basics of why they played hockey to begin with. And for them, it was to have fun and to have each other's backs. And so what we see is the team had to refocus and relearn the basics of what it meant to have fun and what it meant to have each other's backs. And then, again, they go win the championship after they quickly learn how to do that in, like, the five minutes, right? Because that's your typical sports movie. But in real life, it can be very easy to lose focus or even to forget the basics of something that we're doing, whether it's 
losing the focus of how to have fun while playing sports when it becomes all about winning. Or maybe in your job, you stop you know, enjoying what you do because you're so focused on making more money or getting that next promotion at all costs. Or maybe for school, it's, you know, you've lost the enjoyment of learning something new because you're so focused on, I need to get straight A's, I cannot get a B plus, I need straight A's. Right? As you go through life and as things begin to distract you, it can be so easy to forget the basics of why you do something. And while at times it's not always detrimental, it can have a very detrimental effect when it's about the church, when it's about why you follow Jesus Christ or what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I've labeled today's message called Remember the Basics. Because graduates, as you go on into life, I pray that you continue to remember the basics of what it means and why you follow Jesus Christ. While winning is not always a bad thing, and while getting you know, more money or getting that promotion or getting straight A's, while those are not always a bad thing, sometimes when you forget the basics, it can have detrimental effects. And over this past year, just the topic of the basics has just continually come back into my mind. It's why the youth can testify to this, that I've gone back out throughout this year, just gone back to what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the basics of following Jesus Christ? And over the, throughout this whole year, I probably taught on like three or four times. But it is so crucial and important to always remember what is the basics of Christianity? Why do I follow Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And every single time I think of this, the verse Micah 6, 8 comes to mind. And he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? And so this morning, I want to spend some time dissecting this passage. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, just open them up to Micah. It's in the Old Testament. It's a small, tiny book. Before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a gracious God, Lord. Lord, I pray that you give me the word to speak this morning, Lord. That is your message coming on my lips and not anything that I've written, Lord. And if there's something I need to delete, tell me to delete it, Lord. But I just pray that this morning it is all about you and your word for us here this morning. And so I just pray you bless the rest of this morning as we go into the sermon and as we go into the rest of our weekend today, Lord. And I just pray you may be turned on to the degrees outside by like 20. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we dive in the passage, I just want to give you a quick overview of just the historical background leading up to the book of Micah. And so the kingdom of Israel... So, all right, the kingdom of Israel, God, it's God's people, right? And the King David, if we go to the next slide, I have a little timeline. Um, so King David is like the first real king of Israel, if you don't count Saul. And he reigned for about 40 years from like 1010 to like 970 BC. And then after King David, his son Solomon reigned for about another 40 years from 970 to, to 930 BC. 
But because of the sin and the evil that happened during David's and Solomon's life, right after Solomon died, a civil war broke out. And what happened was the kingdom of Israel split into two. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And if you were to read the books of First and Second Kings, you would be quick to see that every single king of the northern kingdom of Israel did what was evil and wrong in the sight of the Lord. Every single king always did something wrong. It just got worse and worse and worse. On the other hand, the southern king was like a kingdom, was a kind of a mixture of both good and bad kings. So like there was the cycle of, you know, repentance of the wrongdoing, and then they'd go right back and rebel against God, and then there'd be repentance and then rebellion. So the southern kingdom was like this up and down, while the northern kingdom just got worse and worse and worse. And this was a pattern for almost 300 years when we finally get you, or introduced to Micah. Micah's prophetic ministry took place around 750 B.C. And he was tasked by God to call out all of the evil and the sin that was in Israel and Judah at the time. And at this time, Israel and Judah were just committing horrific evils. Right? Israel just kept on getting worse and worse, and Judah was in one of those downward spirals at the time. And so Micah is placed in this just time of just complete evil and sin. And it was even so bad that God allowed in 722 BC the kingdom of Israel to be conquered and sent into exile by the Syrians. And so Micah here is tasked with calling out all of the sin in Judah and Israel's nations, and to actually calling out judgment upon the evil too. And if you were to read the book of Micah, which I would encourage you to do if you have never read the book, but if you were to read it, you would notice there was just this long laundry list of just evil and sin that were being committed by both the kingdoms. And just a short list, here's just a few of them. The religious leaders were proclaiming deceptive and false prophecies for profit. They were proclaiming God's prosperity and protection for anybody who could pay. Oh, you want God's protection? Pay me 50 bucks, and you got it. Like, there was a total lack of proclaiming God within these religious leaders. Truth was being replaced with whatever people would pay to hear So a leader would say, okay, I just called out somebody's sin, and they don't like that. Well, they'll pay me if I say all is fine and dandy, and I praise what they're doing. How about I do that? I'll just make more money. And so what we see here is just religious leaders abandon God's calling in their life, abandon proclaiming the good news, abandon proclaiming God, and just talked about whatever made more money. And the kings and the leaders were just as bad. They used false scales and measurements to steal from the people so they could align their pockets with more money. The leaders were also bending the justice system in favor of the wealthy so that the rich could remain in power and that the rich just got richer and the poor just got poorer. And on top of that, Israel and Judah had completely rebelled against God and were worshiping idols, you know, and other pagan religions. And so this is the backdrop of the book of Micah. 
This is what Micah is walking into as God is saying, go and call out the evil in Judah and Israel. Both Israel and Judah had just completely forgotten and forsaken the basics of what it meant to follow God. And this is what leads us to Micah 6, 8. Micah is calling them to remember and to turn back to following God. And so what does Micah say here? I mean, he practically sums up the entire Old Testament law in just this one verse. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Micah is calling them to remember those three things. The first is to do justice. So what does that mean? If you look at the other Bible translations, it comes out as act justly, do what is right. Eugene Peterson translates it as do what is fair and just to your neighbor. And if you look at the Hebrew word, it actually refers to right and fair relationships in community, especially when it comes to legal and financial situations. And this is exactly the opposite of what Israel's doing at the time, right? I mean, the leaders are robbing their own people. They've rigged the system so that the wealthy profit and the poor are oppressed, right? They fixed the scales and changed the measurements so people just got gypped. And so Micah is calling Israel and Judah to return to a just way of life. So what did Micah mean when he says to love kindness? The Bible translates it, you know, in different English versions, to love faithfulness or to love mercy. Eugene Pearson, again, translates it to be compassionate and loyal in your love. The Hebrew word is this both an attitude and action. It's to have a heartfelt desire to do good to others and to obey God. It's this action and attitude. It's not just an empty action it's not just a, I want to do good, but then there's no action. It's both and. Micah is calling Israel and Judah to return to a godly love for one another. Lastly, Micah calls out Israel and Judah to walk humbly with God. So what does that mean? The first two commands here were all about our relationship and how we treated others. But this last one's all about our relationship with God. Because God wants to be in relationship with us, we were created to be in relationship with him. And so what this is, it's a relationship built on faithfulness and humility in choosing what God wants and not insisting on one's own will. Let me repeat that. It's a relationship built on faithfulness and humility in choosing what God wants and not insisting on one's own will. And so what it is that God wants? He wants us to do justice and to love kindness. So Micah is calling them back into a community and fellowship with their own creator because they had completely forsaken that. And to summarize this passage, what does God want? He wants your heart. He wants you to have a heart for you to seek justice for the marginalized, 
He wants you to have a heart for you to care for the needs of others before your own. He wants a heart where you are in a relationship with God because he wants to be in relationship. He wants you to have that life-altering relationship with the creator of the universe. And so that leaves us now, how do we apply that to our lives today? We see this example of how Israel and Judah were just completely failing at this moment. So how do we look at this and reflect on our own lives? I want to take some time and take an honest look at ourselves, but also just the church in general in America. By asking the question, how is the American church neglected to love others? By neglecting the calling in Micah 6.8. Because if we're being honest, if we put up that list of all the sins of Israel and Judah, I mean, the American church, if you look at it within the last five years, in the last ten years, we're guilty of every single one. If you want to put that list back up. Um, if you look at the American church, deceptive false prophecies have been replaced with conspiracy theories that are being peddled by pastors and self-proclaimed prophets. If we're being honest, we can see in the American church that more people are concerned about holding on to power than humbly serving others. In the American church, we see the abandonment of God's word in the name of love and inclusion. Now, on the other hand, in the American church, we have seen judgment and the abandonment of love for others in the name of hating sin. And while throughout history, church leaders have led the charge on social issues, in the American church, the words social justice are taboo words for many. In the American church, we see many refusing to address the isms that have infected the church. Racism, sexism, nationalism. In the American church, we see Christians leading the fight for pro-life. But once the baby is born... Who cares about life? Hardly blinking an eye when marginalized and minorities are being killed by police or neighborhoods are becoming complete war zones due to gun violence. In the American church, we see our rights being held as more important than the needs of others. Now, that's a very broad, overarching look at just the American church as a whole. But if we're being honest with ourselves... Where do we fit there? So I want to close this morning giving each and every one of you a challenge. To you graduates, my challenge for you is as you begin this new journey in your life, that you will never forget the basics of what it means to follow Christ, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. I encourage you to never stop being honest with yourselves. And by asking yourself, how can I, or how have I been neglecting the basics of what it means to follow Christ? And what is it that I can do to change? So often we like to point out what's wrong with others or what's wrong with the group, but we are so, we're so slow to want to say, okay, what is it inside myself that I need to actually change? I'm guilty of this too. If we're being honest, we're all guilty of that. 
So graduates, as you begin this new journey in your life, I just pray and I hope that you continue to look at the basics of what it means to follow Christ. To all the adults here this morning and those watching online, it's my challenge for you that you always be honest with yourself by reflecting with yourself, by asking, how have you neglected God's call in your life to seek justice for the marginalized, to care for the needs of others, and to walk with God? And then to follow that up with asking, what is it that I need to do to change? What's that first step that I can do to seek justice for others better? What's that first step I can do to actually help and care for those in need a little bit better? Or how have I neglected my walk with God? And what's that first step I can do to be better at that? And to all the kids and youth here, and I'm going to actually bring the graduates into this again too. If you have ever heard somebody say that you're the next generation of the church or that you're the future of the church. I want to be the first to apologize by saying you are not. You're not the future. You're not the next generation. You are just plainly the church. You are the part of the church right now. So all of you youth, all of you kids, I have a very bold challenge for you because you do not need to wait until you graduate. You don't have to wait until you are become an adult to make change within the church and outside of the church walls. And so all of you kids and children, and all of you youth and adults, or graduates, this is my bold challenge for you. I want you to ask yourself, how can you champion change, not only in yourself, but also here at Crossroads, when it comes to seeking justice for the marginalized, when it comes to caring for the needy and the poor, and when it comes to fostering a community and relationship with God? How can you be the one that champions the change? Because studies have shown over and over that your generation, Gen Z, cares way more about social justice, cares way more about taking care of the needy than any generation before you. So how are you going to foster that heartfelt desire and champion the change that we would love to see? And so I want to embolden you to lead the church by example of what it looks like to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And don't forget the words that Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. Set an example. Don't let people look down at you because you're young. Lead that church. Be that example. Heavenly Father, I pray you give us discernment and boldness as we reflect in our lives, Lord. And you give us honesty to actually see what we need to do in our lives or where we're failing to seek justice and to love others. We maybe have neglected our relationship with you, Lord. I pray that you show us any idols in our lives that have stopped us from walking with you, Lord, or have taken our eyes away from you, Lord. I pray for any strongholds that the devil has put in our lives that have hindered us from seeking justice for others. 
or actually humbly serving and loving those in need. Lord, as the graduates go and start a new journey of life, Lord, I pray for them to continue to look back at the basics of what it means to be a Christ follower, Lord, that, that, that as they learn and grow in the knowledge of you, that that knowledge doesn't stop them from remembering what the basics are, Lord, and that is to love you and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.